It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in because we are continuing our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, we just got through the first few verses last week, so we're going to pick up here at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's probably going to take us another week or so to get through this chapter. And as you know, we spend a lot of time in each chapter because we just don't get that much time together here on the radio. But if you ever miss prior broadcast. If you want more notes and anything that can help you to go deeper into this text, after all, that's what we're here to do is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Just go to calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, and we are a verse-by-verse expository church. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week, we finished up as we were talking about with these first few verses here, chapter 9, is that, uh, that, that Paul is making the case uh, for the work of ministry, and, and sometimes those who do so were compensated for it, and others who donate freely of their time. Now, pause. he's establishing this church there in Corinth, he will forego any income to do so from that church, while others that are supporting him, then they also are receiving the blessing for so doing. That as a missionary, as he's establishing this church in this vital area, that those who are uh, helping to fund that initiative, those who are giving freely their tithes, their offerings to make that possible, he he helps us to understand that they also receive the full benefit as if they're doing the work as he is, right? So we're all in this together as the body of Christ. Now, I also told you just a little bit about even our church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, and I I know this is true of many churches in Colorado Springs, that really it takes a vast number of people to make what happens even on a Sunday morning possible. In fact, for our church, it takes about 60 to 100 volunteers just on a weekly basis to pull all of the details together. To, to, together, and, and this is not something that they're compensated for. Even our worship team donate their time. So, uh, you know, this is really a labor of love. And I commend those of you who are faithfully serving in any capacity. Maybe you're just uh, greeting at your church. Maybe you're washing floors. Whatever role that might be, you're doing it unto the Lord. And so I commend you for that. You want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well, that's where it begins. I mean, many struggle just to even get to a church on a Sunday morning, let alone to serve and give freely of their time. I praise God for you. Now, when things are happening at the church, when ministry is occurring as a result of that sacrifice that you're making, say you're you're a greeter at the door and you're handing out bulletins, you're helping to make that church function. And so as a result, the good work that happens through that church is people are saved, individuals baptizing, is ministry is happening all around the world. You are a co-laborer in so doing. You, you may not see it that way. You think, well, I'm just handing out a bulletin. No, 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 because you are helping to make that whole church operate and everything it's doing, not just there in that moment, but your sacrifice is enabling that ministry to reach all across the world. And, you know, I, I encourage those at our church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley with just the wonderful updates even from around the world not long ago. Our church had partnered with a group called Transform India Movement, and they're planting churches 
through water wells in Bihar, India. So they meet the physical need of provision of food and water. And as a result, it helps us be able to get, give them the gospel message. And so recently we were able to put in four water wells through a group called Jesus Economy and this Transform India movement. And that provides 7,100 people with access to clean water, which means 56 cents provide someone with access to water. And these wells only cost about a thousand US dollars each. And, and just imagine the return on that investment for the kingdom of God. And that is a that is something that everybody contributes to, even those who don't give monetarily, but give of their time, make that possible. We're now even giving to an organization called Food for Orphans. And they, because of just those who sacrificially gave, over 4,800 orphans received meals just because of somebody giving even $20 a month. It's amazing how, how the return on investment in God's kingdom can yield such a harvest by just the sacrificial giving of time and service and funds to, to these efforts. So I praise God for you faithful out there. Now, here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 to 14. We're going to pick up here. Paul's going to give us five reasons why he has the right to be supported by churches to whom he is ministering and why he shouldn't even have to work bivocationally so he can devote his full energy to study, prayer, preaching, and teaching. Now, as I mentioned last week, I, I did that. I, for five years, I was bivocational, and uh, God provided. It was amazing, not just provision of, of resources financially, but pr provision of time. I look back now and I'm thinking, how did I do that? that? It's not possible in the flesh to do what I was able to do. God did that. Uh, so here Paul's going to make this case. He says here in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. So Paul's pointing out that the soldiers don't fight all day and then go to civilian jobs at night so they can pay for their food, lodging, clothing, and armaments. No, the government provides all of those, most of which, I suppose, not all, but most of the necessary resources for them to function as a soldier. So Paul makes the same point about farmers. You don't plant a vineyard or cultivate crops for somebody for free and then take a night job to subsidize the farming work. He goes on here, verses 8 to 10, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen, excuse me, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. So quoting from the Old Testament law regarding the treatment of oxen, he noted that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, that commanding of God's people not to muzzle the ox while it was in the process of threshing. Instead, God commanded that the ox be allowed to eat the grain. So we're going to put something over the oxen's mouth so that it couldn't partake of what it was stepping on. Or rather, it was allowed to eat that while it was serving, while it was working. So if God cared so much about the animals who served his people, how much more must he care for the people 
who serve as people. So th- this is not the only time that, that Paul will use this example. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. He goes on here in 1 Corinthians 9, 11 to 12, he says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not ever even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So spiritual things are intrinsically more important than physically things, physical things. That's really what we should take away from that. Spiritual things are intrinsically more important than physical things. So the former will forever last, you know, more so than this temporary. I mean, we constantly are laboring for treasures on this earth that we know are going to erode away. And here we are now to put our eyes on things that, uh, treasures for his kingdom, that we know that neither rust nor moth can can eat them away. So the former will last forever, whereas the latter is only temporary. So those who benefit from spiritual ministry should physically support those who minister to them, according to Galatians 6.6. 6. So Paul makes a reference to Old Testament Hebrew history and custom pertaining to the temple. Let's read on, 1 Corinthians 9.13. He says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? So this refers to the Old Testament priests and Levites. The the concept of paying God's servants is not a New Testament notion. This goes actually all the way back to the Old Testament. Paul likened the gospel ministry as a priestly service. He does this again in Romans chapter 15, verse 16. So Paul closes out this argument with this bottom line, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul explains that the Lord Jesus taught on these same principles. You go back to Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10 on that. So Paul is placing Jesus's stamp right on this. I mean, he is giving Jesus's stamp of approval on this dissertation that he is giving to the church there in Corinth. So Paul, uh, he's not saying here that he wants a raise Okay, he's, you know, simply suggesting that although I am foregoing compensation, perhaps what he's doing then is he's setting up the groundwork to say that those who follow after me, and we know that there would be many, many pastors would follow after Paul, after his establishment of the Church of Corinth there, that that he needs to, to make that case known to them, that they need to help cover those wages, right? That That is, a, when they sacrifice to cover those wages for an individual who is their foot washer and servant and preacher and teacher and prayer warrior there with them, a servant, a foot washer for them, that they that when they are giving to the Lord and it covers that man's wages, that is as if they are giving to the Lord because God is expecting that they cover that man in or in their support work there. So that that's to be expected, right? We shouldn't lament that. Or, or think that is a non-biblical concept when indeed it is. So an encouraging email, letter, phone call, this would also 
mean the world to any one of these leaders. I, I mean, we've got many missionaries out there who, even if you can't support them financially, if you can even support them with encouragement, support them with prayer, come alongside them, just give them a hug, lift their arms up as Aaron and her did to Moses. This goes a long way. It just doesn't have to be monetary support, okay? You can support people in ministry a number of ways. So Paul's made the case. So now he proceeds to, to make the case for why he's chosen to forfeit this right, the right of collecting any funds of support with regard to the church there in Corinth. So he, he, his next point that he makes here is that we must fulfill our individual calling. That's what he's going to highlight from verses 15 to 23. So in those nine verses, Paul explains his passion for lost people and for preaching the gospel that ultimately consumes him. So consequently, he'll go to any and every God-honoring length to share the gospel message. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, we read, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Now, these are some strong words. He's moving from his prior point that you should take care financially of those who are ministering to you with the gospel. I'm not taking any compensation from you, but don't let that be the norm. Now, I, I don't do this for a reason, and that's what he's setting up now. There is a bigger reason. And when Paul uses the word boast in his writings. He isn't talking about some personal accomplishments. This is not the arrogance or pride that proceeds out of our mouth that is sin, okay? He's talking about what the Lord has done through him in spite of his weaknesses. So Paul used this term boasting in the Lord in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, which appears to be drawn from Jeremiah 9, 24. So Paul chose to abstain from collecting any form of income from that church because he was discerning that it would have created a stumbling block for the greater work, possibly as a result of the influence of the Greek culture there with a knowledge for sale price tag that they would often put on giving information. So the environment was prevalent with knowledge for sale, and he wanted to demonstrate that he wasn't selling them something new. What he was giving them of the hope in Jesus Christ, the information, the teaching of God's holy word was not something that man could purchase right? This was of the grace of Jesus Christ, through God our Father and his gift to mankind, that they would have hope, eternal salvation, eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. So rather, he's giving them the truth, and he's looking to build a foundation for a church that that would be thriving after his departure. He wants it to to take deep root there and not be burdened financially as it's launching in its early stages. So he goes on, verses 16 to 17. So he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Okay, so Paul says that he cannot legitimately boast in this ministry of preaching that God has given to him because God ordered him to do it. 
He's simply being obedient and recognizing that he is but an instrument in the hand of Almighty God. So he states that he's under compulsion to do this in verse 16, that he's been entrusted with a stewardship, a responsibility. Even Jeremiah struggled in this, and I'll, I'll read that passage to you because I think it's quite fitting here that, uh, you know, he, here Paul says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So this is something that Jeremiah shared as well. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 9, he says, O Lord, you induced me, which is enticed, and I was persuaded. You were stronger than I and have prevailed. I am derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me, a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. So here the prophet Jeremiah, though he it feels this burden of speaking, like they're just going to mock me every time I speak God's word. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to talk about you anymore. But I have to because it's a fire in my bones and I'm weary if I try to hold it back. I have to be an instrument for Almighty God. And you can see Paul feeling the weight of that as well. The, the severe consequences then if he chose to forego preaching for another profession would be severe. He, he would not be in his calling. He would be in disobedience, and we know how well that went for Jonah. So there was no reward in simply doing what God had called him to do. Okay, so from the words of Jesus Christ, he says, we have done what was our duty to do, according to Luke 17, 10, B. So again, this is not not that Paul is not being blessed, right? I don't want to to highlight and simply say that oh, Paul didn't receive any blessing for being obedient. Certainly he did. But what Paul's attitude in this is, is that he didn't do this for personal gain. All boasting that comes out of him is look what God has done through somebody like me. That nothing good could possibly come out of me. I am the chief of sinners, so God and He alone receives any credit for anything good that has come out of me. Right? That's the that is an attitude of meekness, a posture of humility before a living and breathing God. So he he wasn't in it for the money. God took care of all of his needs despite the fact that he would struggle at times. In Philippians four verses eleven to twelve, we read he he says, "Not that I speak in regard to need." For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, which means to live humbly, and I know how to abound, which means to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So this leads Paul to, to raise a question here in verse 18. He says, 1 Corinthians 9, 18, What is my reward then? that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul believes that his loving service will be recognized in the future by the Lord. Forgo any compensation to do this wholly, fully for Jesus Christ, for this mission that is before him. God is taking care of his needs. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. So Paul recognizes that we do not get rewarded for our calling in and of itself, only 
for the manner in which we fulfill it. We are rewarded for obedience. And I'm not going to be elevated above you as some kind of preacher or teacher or the fact that I'm on the radio or anything like that. That is, that is, it's not about title or position. It's about obedience. If God has called you to faithfully serve and you're washing a bathroom, a restroom there at your at your church, and you get no credit, no glory in the eyes of men, you have still pleased the Father abundantly. And he is is overjoyed at your faithful service, at your obedience to him. So so don't think of this in any way. In fact, uh, from the spotlight of men, if you try to evaluate the success of your ministry or the value that you bring to God's kingdom by how many eyes are upon you, how many ears are listening to you, that is not the right evaluation. So the, the only distinguishing factor is whether or not we are obedient to God. Mercy is a spiritual gift along with teaching. We'll talk about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the gift is expected to be used, and God gets the glory for that. If you have a gift of mercy, praise God. If you have a gift of teaching, praise God. He's not praised if you're not using it. So Paul sacrificed much and served well so that he might one day receive commendation from God. Matthew chapter 25, 21 to 23. So that serves as an example to us all. So ultimately, what I believe we are to, be, to understand here is that there should be found no hypocrisy in us. And there certainly is no hypocrisy in Paul. And this is evidenced by his willingness to sacrifice his rights for the sake of the gospel. He, he just dedicated 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to imploring us to be our brother's keeper and to limit our freedom for the sake of others so that we don't create a stumbling block for our weak, weaker brothers and sisters. So here he demonstrates how he himself has sacrificed significantly so that he's not asking them to do something he has not already done himself. He is leading by example. He is serving with a mission mindset, so he implores us to do the same. And all those who serve, they'll be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ for their faithful serving, as Paul is of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So Paul now moves from the, sh- the, the subject of, of giving up his right to financial support to giving up cultural rights. Okay, so here's what he goes on, verses 19 to 22. We read, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law is under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Okay, now six times in this paragraph, Paul states his desire to reach the lost. Now, I find that very fitting. I love the numerology in Scripture. The number six is the number of man. And six times he uses this this statement that he is to reach the lost, right? These men, the lost men. So he reaches the lost by adapting his methods according to the group he tries to reach. So Paul goes after anyone and everyone. Now, number one, he's trying to reach out to the Jews. He then reaches out to those who are under the law. 
Now, this probably includes Gentile God-fearers and proselytes of the Judaism, as well as ethnic Jews. So these proselytes, they, they had been uh, converted to Judaism, and, and so they were under the law, even though they were not Jews by uh, their bloodlines, right? So, so those who are without the law, this probably refers to the Gentiles who are apart from any Jewish influence of the Torah law. And, and then he says, the weak most likely referring to the Christians with weak consciences, uh, those who you described in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So he says that he's to win them. And this appears five times in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 21. It's, it's related to conversion, to, to give them the gospel message, to win them to salvation, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. But it can also apply to winning a faltering believer. Maybe somebody is teeter-tottering and, and they're not fully committed to Christ. We, we see them maybe showing up on Sunday, but the rest of their life is not bearing the fruit of a believer. And we see that in Matthew 18, 15. So Paul's missionary principle, of course has practical application. So he's learning the local language and customs to make the gospel understandable in the local environment. So for those who are doing any inner city work, it means ministering in a way that does not patronize inner city mentalities. For those who are serving on campus ministries, it means bringing to college students a message that challenges them in an academic environment and shows that Christianity is not anti-intellectual, but is indeed very intellectual, right? So it's it's understood then by those who are craving academia and, and seeking understanding in both science and history and all of the supporting methodologies for the, the roots that, that show that our faith is real, right? So the applications of being all things to all people are endless, but this is not about compromising, okay? Now, I, I had a, for example, I had a friend of mine, he shared that his teenage son came up into the garage one day, uh, just, you know, wearing a whole new wardrobe. He's sitting there working in the garage. His teenager pops in and, and he sees that he's got the, an incredible new look here as something that we'd call like what, what we used to call skater look in high school, right? Baggy pants, a baggy shirt, a beanie hat on, all while it's 100 degrees outside. And he had his unbuttoned shirt, uh, this undershirt that's exposed. He, he really looked like he was going for a particular look. And, and so the dad here the, the, the is greatly surprised. I mean, he began to inquire. His son responded and said that he was on a mission to win the other kids at school to Christ. And then he quoted scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22 to become all things to all men. Well, this wise dad then paused for a moment. And he said, well, I applaud you that you have turned to scriptures. And since you're looking to scriptures, Romans 14, 12 tells us that we are to give an account, if you will, for all the work before God, that, that one man sharpens another, according to Proverbs 27, 17, and we must keep each other accountable from wandering from the faith in James 5, 19 to 20. So, so why don't you keep a weekly list of all the guys you talk to about Jesus so you can stay true to your mission, and we'll go over that every week and pray on Fridays for those whom you're ministering to. His son looked at his dad, nodded, and without saying a word, went back in the house and changed his clothes. So this is not a scripture to misuse or justify your own agenda with. This is about intentionally and giving an effort and discernment to reaching the world 
with the gospel message. So we'll get more into this next week. I hope you've been encouraged thus far. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover here, just 1 Corinthians chapter 9 alone. A long study ahead of us here at 1 Corinthians, but I know you're going to be blessed. I want to thank you for listening today. If you want to learn more about our ministry at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, please visit us online at calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. Services are on Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., and we have weekly small groups. We know you'll be blessed if you seek to go deeper into God's Word. God bless you, my friends. Take care.